you obviously want a professional that's competent, knows what they're doing, is able to do a good job, but you also want someone that you like to work with because, you know, potentially you're going to be communicating with them often if your matter ends up in a lawsuit. You know, you could be spending significant time with that person. So it's helpful if you if you like the lawyer and certainly are able to communicate with them effectively. That's That's the most important thing. Hello, and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or a former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her particular occupation. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, emanating from Studio One of Gwynn Sound in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. In previous episodes, we have met interesting experts about the rights and responsibilities of employees in the workplace, and we've also met job coaches and everyday people talking about their careers and the lessons that they learned and could impart upon our audience. Today, our special guest is George Rule, one of the partners at Freaking Myers and Rule. Welcome to the show, George. Thanks, Randy. Today's episode is going to return to legal matters, but nothing specifically about the law. Instead, we are going to learn from George on a critical aspect often overlooked. That is the basic question of how to find the right lawyer. We call this episode, Finding the Right Lawyer and the Right Fee Structure. So George, how's the wife and family? Yeah, we're doing good. Just uh, getting ready for, you know, the holiday season. Uh, like a lot of people doing our shopping online, mostly. Yeah. But uh, kids are excited about that, so looking forward to that. And how about the kids? Are they actually in school, or are they doing uh, remote learning, so to speak? It's a little bit of both. So in our school district, uh, Forest Hills, we have been uh, in-person education, but uh, right now my, my oldest son, Henry, he is doing remote learning due to a couple of his teachers testing positive. So it's, you know, it's going pretty, going pretty well. I think the school's doing a good job, um, you know, trying to keep everybody healthy and, you know, the best we can in difficult circumstances. How does Henry like remote learning? Does he prefer to be in the classroom or does he like to be at home? You think? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think he prefers to be in the, the classroom. Uh, I, I, you know, I think around his buddies and stuff. I think most kids are probably that way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but the remote learning is, is going okay, too. And how's Jill handling all of this? I think she would prefer the in-person instruction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't go into the reasons on that, but, but uh, like a lot of parents, uh, it's it's uh, it's a, a different set of challenges if the if the kids are trying to learn at home. Right now, we don't normally violate HIPAA uh, rules when we're doing these podcast episodes, but I know you had your own little bout with COVID. You want to tell our listeners about that, and if there's anything they might pick up and learn from that? Yeah, you know, I it was it was not a fun experience. Uh it was basically a couple of weeks of feeling pretty pretty lousy. Uh I had this in mid-October and I I actually came home from work on a on a Monday evening and just kind of felt like I had a cold. Um just a little achy. Uh, I had just a slight temperature, 99 point something. And, you know, any other time, I I probably would have gone into work the next day. Sure. But, you know, in the middle of pandemic, thought it best to stay home. And, and That's how we used to spread the flu around the office, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, the first week really uh, was... Felt like I kind of had a cold, just achy, and and I ended up getting tested two days later. Got the results Friday that week, and then the second week just really felt a lot worse. No, no energy. I know everyone talks about the loss of of smell and taste. I didn't really experience that a lot noticeably, but just no appetite, mm-hmm. no appetite and energy, and it it took a good fifteen days before I felt better. And then I, I felt a little cloudy in my head for, you know, a few days after that. But now I'm just, you know, back back to normal. But, you know, I've talked to other other people who've had it. And, you know, everyone's experience is a, is a little different. Uh, and obviously we've lost, you know, way too many people uh, in this country and around the world due to it. So it's it's a serious thing. But fortunately for me and, and most people, it's it's not, you know, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> So were you able to work uh, during that time? I guess you probably at, wor- at home working to the best you could. Yeah, yeah. The first week I pretty much kept a regular schedule. Uh, we're doing virtually all of our initial consultations over the phone these days. So I was able able to do those. There was a couple days the second week, two days really, where I just called everything off just, just to rest because I didn't didn't feel up to it. But, you know, most of the time I was I was working. Yeah. Now, one of our episodes dealt with the whole issue of remote work, people working from home. Uh, do you have a personal preference whether you work, uh, you know, like come down to the office every day and hang out in your office and work? Or what do you think about the whole remote uh, working aspect? Yeah. Well, my preference would be in in the office. And that's more a personal Mm-hmm. preference but uh you know we've all adapted so certainly you know our office was completely shut down for the month of April you know just go in there to get get stuff and so you know got set up to to work from home and you know there are some benefits to that i save about 50 minutes of of driving time per per day um so i'm i'm there are days now where i'll I'll work from home but uh just 
you know, for me personally, I, I do like to be in, in the office. Okay. So before we get to the guts of our topic today, I wanted to brag a little bit about George, uh, who is typically a pretty modest guy. You know, he's a hell of an athlete, first of all. I always enjoy going into his office and seeing the headline uh, framed where he hit the uh, game-winning shot in that championship game in high school basketball back in the days. That was probably uh, late 80s, early 90s? Late 80s? 1990. 1990, okay. Uh, George is an Indiana boy. He's a big fan of the Indianapolis Colts and the NFL, but he grew up as a Reds fan since he lived relatively close to Cincinnati, about a couple hours away in Kokomo, right? Yep. And George is a graduate of Vanderbilt University School of Law, and he's a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Indiana University in Bloomington. Now, Phi Beta Kappa is not the fraternity George was in. Instead, it's an honor society reserved for the best students in arts and sciences, typically the ones close to a 4.0 grade point average. Now, since graduating from Vanderbilt's uh, School of Law, George has focused his legal practice as a partner at Freaking Myers and Rule on employment law, representing current and former employees. Since 1998, George has participated in jury trials in both state and federal court in Ohio, and he's received favorable jury verdicts. But probably just as importantly, or maybe more importantly, he has negotiated hundreds, if not thousands, of significant settlements for current employees or former employees. So, hey, George, enough of that about you, I think. Let's get started. Um, How does someone... So we want to make this kind of a general topic today. We're not going to focus in on employment law because, you know, I think other than someone needing a a lawyer maybe to draft a will. Most people don't actually need to have a lawyer, but occasionally they get into a situation where they do. Um, So I just want to ask you, how does someone who finds themselves in a situation where they need a lawyer, how do they actually get started on the process? Yeah, thanks, Randy. Uh, So, yeah, I think the first thing you need to do is really figure out what what the legal issue is and that okay could be criminal it could be employment could be a personal injury maybe an issue with your your property uh land dispute something like that so mm-hmm. you know figure out i mean obviously you know what the concern is but but you may not know what what type of lawyer specializes in that type of law Right, because now more and more lawyers are kind of specialized as opposed to just being general practitioners. There, there are still some general practitioners out there. Right. But lawyers have tended to get into these specialties. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and, and I think typically you would want to find someone with experience handling your, your type of issue. So, you know, step one is kind of, okay, what, what type of lawyer, what type of background, um, you know, might deal with my particular legal issue. You know, from there, and, and you know, these, maybe in terms of figuring out what type of lawyer you're looking for, it, it would also intertwine with actually finding a lawyer and, and doing the same things. So, you know, 
a, a great source for finding an attorney. Probably the best is other lawyers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if somebody knows a lawyer, maybe the first step is to ask that person. Right, right. So one of your, you know, one of your neighbors, somebody at your church, you know, one one of the parents of of uh, one of your kids' uh, classmates. You know, that's that's definitely a good source because they will know other lawyers. They will have suggestions for you in terms of like who you might talk to. Okay. Now, a lot of people don't know lawyers uh, for one reason or another. It kind of strikes me as funny sometimes. I guess because I am a lawyer, I assume most people know lawyers. But I, I think I'm finding out as I get older and older that there's a ton of people out there that do not know lawyers. They just don't live in their neighborhoods, maybe don't go to their schools, or the parents, you just don't know what other people do a lot of times. You have, you know, like, like your kids have friends, but you, and you might be friendly with the father or the mother, but you really don't say all the time, you know, hey, what do you do for a living? So what if you don't know a lawyer? Well, you, you know, friends and family are, are, are a source, so you may have... Um, you know, uh, an uncle that is a is a business owner, or you know, a neighbor mm-hmm. um, who owns a business, and, and more than likely, they have somebody that they go to for legal advice. So that's that's certainly a possibility. And you know, I will. We always, when when people are referred to us, we always like to try to find out who referred them. And oftentimes, it is a relative or a friend, maybe a maybe a former client. Uh, somebody who you know had an employment issue, was happy with the service, and yeah, you should call Randy Freaking or George Rule or, or or Kelly Myers. So that you know, just your your social network is a good place as well. Uh, sometimes you know maybe maybe it's an issue that you're not necessarily you know comfortable sharing with people. Uh, you know the internet actually is it is a good starting point you know you can google whatever your uh, issue is you know whether it's um you know if it's a criminal matter if it's a you know a homeowners type issue you know for example if it's something to do with your 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 property um you know maybe you have a problem with work that was done on your home you know, good point of reference might be your real estate agent, right? Because they'll get those questions commonly. So they may know an attorney that specializes in, in you know, real estate. Um, now to go back to, you know, hmm. Google or, or the internet, uh, one thing that's important to uh, recognize is that that's a starting point because, for example, Google, those are paid placements, as, as you may or may not no, so that's not necessarily the first person on the list may not be the the attorney for you, uh, but it you know it's a good place to start. Yeah, I think of Google as kind of like the old fashioned yellow pages. You know, people could thumb through the yellow pages in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties under lawyers, and I guess they were probably divided by specialty. You know, you mentioned the realtor situation. How about other professional contacts? I think what jumped into my mind is. Maybe most people have a physician. Right. And most physicians, I think, probably know lawyers, you know, one way or the other. 
I think, yeah, I think that's a good suggestion as, as well. Um, you know, your, any of your professional contacts mm-hmm. uh, are likely to know some attorney. So that's a, that's a good, good Yeah, place I think that was start. a good idea where you said, you know, somebody's uncle might be a business owner, something like that. So you're looking, I guess the essence of this is try to talk to people who know lawyers or have worked with lawyers and they can at least start you on the process. Right. I, th- I, you know, I think the best source of referrals is a, is a personal referral. Somebody that you have a relationship with, who you trust, who can, you know, give you some names as a starting point. Another uh, good source of, of lawyers is the local bar association. So here in, in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Bar Association has a lawyer referral service where you can call them, call that number, explain to them what your legal issue is, employment law, and they will have a, a vetted list of attorneys. You have to meet certain qualifications, have a certain level of experience in that particular area of law to get on that list for a referral. So the your local bar association, Cincinnati Bar Association here is, is a good source for referrals as well. Yeah, and you have to tell the bar association what your issue is, and they find at least some lawyer who's familiar with that. Right. So, okay, you, you find the name of a, a lawyer or two or three. Uh, what's the next thing you do? How do you how do you contact a lawyer? What's the best way? Yeah, I, I still prefer the the old fashioned phone. The you know pick up the phone. Now there there are uh, a lot of Lawyers and firms are set up to where you can make an inquiry online, uh, fill out a form, and someone will contact you. So that's you know that's certainly fine as well. Um, so uh, you know if you if you get to a website and you know they have some information to fill out, you can do that. But you know I I I prefer the phone uh, because you can learn something by you know, calling a lawyer's office and, you know, you're, you're not likely to get uh, a lawyer directly on the phone, uh, on the first call. You know, there's usually a receptionist. You might have a direct dial, uh, number, um, and that, and, and that's fine. But, uh, you know, a lot of firms are, are set up to have an intake process and, you know, that's a good, a good way to get started because, you know, if you hire an attorney, more than likely you're going to be dealing with the staff uh, because attorneys don't don't do the work they do on their own. You know, I we do some litigation. I I, I litigate cases, and we rely heavily on paralegals, legal assistants, and our our staff, receptionists, etc., to you know help us uh, represent people. And so the, we're all we're all part of a team there. And so you know, calling a law office and you know just sort of evaluating, you know, in some sense quickly hmm. the people that you talk to and and you know whether they can answer your questions, um, not legal questions. You're not going to be asking legal questions of a of a receptionist, but you know if they can explain hmm. the process and you know get you scheduled, that's that's important. Now, um, you mentioned the staff. Um, how long does it typically take to get a response from a lawyer? You know, if 
if I have a problem on a Monday, I call a law office on a Monday. How soon can I expect to maybe actually talk to a lawyer or meet a lawyer, you think? You know, that, that varies a little bit. I mean, the the good lawyers, not all of them, but, you know, generally people are good at what they do. And it's certainly true of the legal field are are busy, mm-hmm. you know, because they have a lot of clients and, and, and cases. So, um, you know, most of the time when people contact an attorney in the employment realm, if they have an issue, uh, you know, they may want to see somebody as soon as possible. But, uh, you know, it's it's not I would not say it's typical that you're going to be getting legal advice the same day. It, it It's certainly certainly possible um, in some instances. But most uh, most lawyers, you would need to set up an appointment. You know, we call them consultations. Uh, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect you know, if you leave a message that somebody would contact you within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Now, if you call it at 4.30 p.m. on a on a Friday. Uh, right. You're probably not going to get called back until Monday. Right. Right. But, uh, but you know, I, I think if, if um, you don't get any sort of response to a message or to an online inquiry, you know, within – within 24 hours if it's if it's not over a weekend or a holiday that you know that's something to consider there may be circumstances that impact that but you should be able to talk to someone and learn about the pro the intake process you know relatively quickly right that would set up a red flag if you're getting lousy service from the receptionist or or a paralegal or they just don't call you back within 24 hours that should at least put a caution flag up and maybe you, you look at someplace else as well. That, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Okay. So you got the appointment, uh, you've talked to a lawyer or you've talked to a paralegal or you've talked to a legal assistant and you're going in to see the lawyer or you're going for a telephone consultation, like you say uh, we're doing these days. How does a potential client best prepare for that initial meeting with the lawyer, yeah. Well, the key word is is prepare. Uh, you know, because the the lawyer or whoever you're meeting with, if it's a paralegal, but more than likely, hopefully, it's going to be a lawyer, has a a limited amount of time uh, for the initial consultation. You know, backing up just a step, it it is important that you learn what the process is in terms of setting up a meeting. What you know what the time frame is for the meeting mm-hmm. and you should be given some guidance as to what information the lawyer would like in advance so you can use time efficiently so for us we have an initial questionnaire that we ask people to fill out and you know it's it's really important that you do that mm-hmm. it might it might seem like work and probably it it, it is work but we utilize that to you know, spot issues and legal claims, so we can give people appropriate advice. So definitely prepare for the initial meeting, which which means provide whatever information that the lawyer requested. You know, if it's a, a contract issue, they're going to need to see need to see the contract. Uh, they'll probably ask for some type of 
uh, description of what what the issue is uh, mm-hmm. in a in a in a questionnaire, but you want to you know you want to provide that information. Uh, also recognize that if you provide you know several hundred pages <laughs> right. of information the lawyer's probably not going to have time to to review it so you know kind of trying to summarize the situation allows uh both the lawyer and the prospective client to use their their time efficiently yeah i i think that's really important i i always tell people who call me you know sure fill out our questionnaire but if you can send me something that'll just give me a summary of the situation, I always say I can read a lot faster and comprehend information in front of me on paper than I can listening to you. You know, I can read a, I can read a story that in, in a few minutes that it might take someone 10 to 15 minutes to literally verbalize to you. So I think that's a, a, a great point. How about the uh, fee uh, for a consultation? What can a, a person expect to pay just for this initial advice from a lawyer? And I'm sure it varies all across the board, but what are some ideas along those lines? Yeah. So in our practice uh, in employment law, we typically do charge a consultation fee. I, uh, you know, I think that it depends on what type of lawyer that you're talking to. I mean, obviously, you don't get charged when you you call in to set up an appointment, but you should know ahead of time. And we we explain to uh, folks that call in and are interested in consulting with us that we do charge a, a consultation fee. Uh, you know, it's it's not exorbitant. Uh, we obviously want people to come in and consult with us and learn about their cases, but you know the. Time is important. So I think uh, you do have to prepare yourself if you're looking for a lawyer that there may be a a consultation fee for their time. And that should be explained to you up up front. Right. I think the one exception might be in personal injury law. I think in my experience anyway, most personal injury lawyers will not charge like a consultation fee because most of those cases are taken strictly on a percentage basis. Um. What about is the lawyer uh, sizing up the prospective client at all uh, in this initial consultation? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I, I think in that 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 goes to preparation a little bit, but uh, you know, for myself personally, uh, you know, it it is a it is sort of a a, a factor in evaluating, you know, potential legal claims, um, whether the individual is, you know, prepared for the consultation, mm-hmm. whether, you know, whether they show up on, on time, right? you know, people are, are, are late sometimes, but, you know, in, in employment law, I have had the experience where someone was let go for attendance problems and then, you know, showed up 45 minutes late to their, their <laughs> consultation without calling to let me know. And that was... <laughs> That's that, kind of a red flag. That was sort of a red flag. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so I I do think you want to 
present well when you're when you're trying to hire an attorney because that that is something that we evaluate. Right. Well, you and you mentioned time. I mean, these things are scheduled, so if somebody shows up late, that's just to their detriment. They shouldn't expect if they've got an hour long consultation, they show up fifteen minutes late. Well, they should do a little math and figure, okay, now we've got forty five minutes. Right. right. That goes back to my daughter's old adage, which is to be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late, and to be late is not to be. So I'm going to give credit to Becky freaking for that little uh, piece of wisdom. Uh, so what other things about uh, you think of in evaluating the consultation and the pre-engagement process? Yeah, so uh, for, you know, for the individual looking for a lawyer, you know, it's a good idea to to kind of prepare a list of questions i think in advance like that you know that goes mm-hmm. into into preparation and you know sort of evaluating how those how those questions are answered uh and the rapport as far as your communication with the prospective attorney uh because more than likely it's it's you know, it's it, in employment law. It's an can be a significant, you know, emotional issue that you're dealing with, uh, and you want to have a good rapport with the person that's that's representing you. I, you know, I I think similar to, you know, maybe evaluating a doctor or, or you know, that it's referred to often as bedside manner, mm-hmm. and and so. You know, you obviously want uh, a professional that's competent, knows what they're doing, is able to do a good job, but you also want someone that you like to work with because, you know, potentially you're going to be communicating with them often if your matter ends up in a lawsuit. Uh, You know, you could be spending significant time with that person. So, you know, it's it's helpful if if you like the lawyer and certainly are able to, you know, communicate with them effectively. That's that's the most important thing. What about the expectation of of you walk into a lawyer's office and they don't know the answer to all of your questions? Should that send up a red flag or is is that kind of normal that they're not going to know all the answers? Well, you know, it depends. Um I mean, obviously you're evaluating the the competency of the lawyer, so, you know, you would expect um, that they know, you know, that I would know something about employment law if you come to me with an employment law question. At the at the same time, we you know we don't have all the answers. One of the things that's that's great about being a lawyer is every situation is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't expect that the lawyer is immediately going to have the answer. Sometimes, you know, there are complex legal issues, and you know they need to think about it. Or you know, research it, and I'll, I'll certainly tell that to people. And if I don't know the answer to the question, I'm not going to fake it. Right. Uh, that doesn't do anybody any good. So I'll, I'll I'll tell people, you know, hey, I I think there's something here, but we need to look into it further. And it may be because there are certain facts that we're not aware of. But you know, I don't have every single law memorized. You know, I know employment law pretty well, but there are definitely issues that we encounter from time to time that uh, you just don't know the 
know the answer to. And so I would not, I would not be uh, concerned necessarily to, for a lawyer to say, "Hey, I need to, I need to think about that," because you, you know, you want them thinking. Right. That might be actually a good thing if you if you if you meet a lawyer who doesn't act like he knows everything. You know, I, I think I'm always wary of people that seem to know the answers to every possible question. Uh, how about uh, after a consultation, are you able to give people guarantees about a result or anything like that, or do you have to look into it further? Yeah, I, th- I think you need to be wary of a lawyer that gives you any type of guarantee. I mean, they're... Unless it's pretty simple. Right. Right. I mean, there are certain things that there's going to be an answer to. And, you know, it is helpful to have sort of a a, a roadmap. Uh, but definitely, in a, you know, in employment law, in terms of maybe somebody has a severance agreement and, you know, they want to know, will you be able to negotiate more or... You know, do I have a discrimination case? Was I wrongfully, you know, terminated? That's going to require an investigation. You know, obviously in an employment context, an individual comes in and we're, we're on the employee side. I'm, I typically myself only represent employees, not companies. There's always two sides to a story. So, you know, I meet with a lot of people that, you know, have been treated badly, have situations where I think, boy, there's really a, a legal claim here, but I certainly need to get additional information before I can, you know, evaluate whether there's a case. So, you know, it's it's not um, unusual. And, and, and frankly, it's, it's typical of how, you know, I work with people in, in employment law is we're not on day one, agreeing that we're going to file a lawsuit for someone. Mm-hmm. You know, I may have a pretty good idea that if this doesn't, this situation doesn't resolve, that it'll end up in litigation. Uh, but there's always a, a lot to a lot to learn. Now, what about uh, communication after this initial consultation? What's the process about how do people actually hire a lawyer? Uh, and how does communication work once you've hired the lawyer? Yeah, hopefully after an initial consultation, the lawyer can discuss with you possibilities for retaining them. You know, if they think there's a potential legal issue that they can help with, uh, you know, in that initial consultation, I will hopefully talk to prospective clients about ways that they could retain uh, myself and the and the firm to work on their matters. So, you know, that is typically a subject of an initial consultation. Sometimes there's more investigation that, that needs to be done, and that, that should be explained to you. You should get some kind of feedback. I'll get back to you within, you know, a certain number of days or period of time you know, with an offer of representation or, or, or more information. But, but what's also helpful and I think is, is something that people should ask when they're evaluating a, an attorney is how are we going to communicate going forward? You know, I'm interested in, in hiring you. What, what, what's the best way for me to get a hold of you? So certainly a lot of folks 
uh, email nowadays. Uh, so that's, you know, a convenient way of, of communication. But there are, cert- there are certain things that you can't do via email. So there are times that you're going to need to be able to get a hold of, of your lawyer to talk to him. So that, that should be an option for you as well. And, and that is a good question. You know, how, um, how do you prefer that you're contacted and, you know, what period of time can I expect a response? Yeah. And will I actually hear from you or am I going to hear from your assistant more often or a paralegal? Those kinds of things. Now, an offer of an engagement, you, you mentioned an offer uh, that you can make to a prospective client for them to hire you. Is that typically in writing? It should be in writing, certainly. I mean, the initial the initial discussions, you know, you, you may talk about verbally, but um, if you are hiring a lawyer, there should be a, a, a written agreement for what the fees are, how they're going to be compensated, whether it's a, a contingency. Uh, you may or may not have, you know, our listeners may or may not have heard of contingency fee agreements. They likely ha- have. Uh, so what is a contingency fee? Uh, you're saying all of this should be in writing, explain, explained very clearly, I imagine, right? Yes. So are there different fee options for uh, clients? Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on what type of of matter it is. But if if you have a legal claim where a monetary recovery is possible, whether it's you know personal injury, um, you know some type of suit might be filed. You're owed money uh, in the employment context. You may have lost wages or lost pay that you want to recover. A contingency arrangement is where the lawyer primarily gets paid based on a recovery for uh, the client. So for example, if you have lost lost wages, uh, the lawyer might be paid a percentage based on the amount of wages, typically a, a third to 40, 40% in, in employment law on a contingency. Now, uh, I, I think most lawyers may charge a, a retainer up front an upfront payment where you have to pay to retain their services. And we often often do that where there's a retainer up front, but the, the primarily the legal fees are based on the recovery, a percentage of the recovery. Okay. And then obviously uh, clients can pay by the hour. How does that work? Yeah. So that's on a, on a time basis. And, and certainly most lawyers uh, will accept cases on a, on a time percentage basis, there are practices where there, you know, there may be a flat fee, uh, just based on experience and the amount of time uh, involved. For example, if we represent someone for an unemployment hearing only, you know, we often will charge a, a flat fee for that. But in terms of hourly work, it's based on the amount of time that's spent on the case, and so it should be very clear what the hourly rate is that you're paying. So you, uh, you should, the client should know the hourly rate. Right. X number of dollars per hour of work. Right. And, and also should be given some type of estimate uh, in, in terms of time. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's a, that's a common question. If, um, you know, I offer someone hourly representation, how much time is, is that going to take? And obviously, 
in most vast majority of cases, that's not uh, you know a precise number. It's just an an estimate. But you should have some type of estimate as to how much it might cost. And, and you know, it's probably going to be a range of of, of some sort. Mm-hmm. A client should not be surprised by the amount of legal fees they pay for any event. I would think that's right. Yeah. And if it if it's on an hourly basis, you should be getting regularly billed for the time. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 not a surprise. And and the lawyers have a professional responsibility to keep track of their time as well. So uh, that that should not be a surprise. Now there are some cases where you're going to end up paying more in legal fees than you anticipated. Hopefully it's on a contingency and, and so the recovery is maybe more than, than what's expected. Uh, but, you know, on an hourly basis, it, it should not be a surprise how much time is going into it. Okay. So you've met with a lawyer. Uh, you think, okay, that, that person, woman or guy is pretty good. Um, I understand the fee options. I understand what they said was my likelihood of success. What do you tell people about the idea of getting second opinions? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I I don't know that I get asked that question too often, but certainly I'll have clients that hire me that have said, you know, I talked to some other lawyers and I decided to go, you know, with you. Um, or, you know, I've had situations where people have, have chosen other lawyers, but, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, it's in the vast majority of cases. Um, I think it's a good idea. Um, you know, if, if you have further questions, uh, to get a second opinion, um, particularly at the outset, you may want to talk to more than one person because you'll, you know, in employment law, I think you'll hear likely hear some of the same things. I I hope you would, right? If if the lawyers know that area of law, but different lawyers have different ideas and 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 different styles, and they may offer you a different fee structure. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an important relationship. So it's 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 not a bad idea uh, to get a to get a second opinion. Well, and like you said earlier, I think the bedside manner concept it's so important for the client i think that the at least at the outset should think they're this is a person they're going to get along with and be able to communicate with if you don't like if you have something in your gut that tells you yeah i really don't like this person he's he's telling me all the right information and he's answering my questions the way i want him to answer them but there's something about that person that rubs me the wrong way should definitely get a second opinion because the relationship is going to be, in some cases, it can be years, certainly, certainly months, oftentimes. Yeah, so I, you know, I think that's a good idea, um, and it it's also just good to hear different different perspectives. But you know, I I, I think you have to be careful about um, going into a meeting with a a lawyer with an expectation that they're going to tell you what you, what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the, the concept of, you know, guarantees, uh, you know, in, in an employment, in the employment world, a discrimination or termination case, any lawyer uh, that tells you that they, they're, they can guarantee a win in your case, <laughs> you need to, you know, yeah. 
politely say thanks and and go talk to somebody else uh, because there there are no guarantees in the in in the legal world. Yeah, and you would think most situations you can't guarantee a result when you've only heard one side of the story. You know, the client thinks they know everything, but obviously whoever the opponent is, whether it's a person you're involved in the auto accident with or the property line dispute or a business transaction, the lawyer representing the client has to hear the other side's story before I would think they could give an informed opinion, a real informed opinion. That's right. Right? That's right. And, you know, if you think about a lawyer that's offering you a contingency fee arrangement, regardless of whether they may say, okay, there are some difficulties or some things that we need to investigate, uh, it's certainly a sure sign that they think the case has some some merit, right? I mean, I do what I do because I like to help people. Um, and, you know, employment uh, is one of the most important things in, in you know, people's lives, you know, along with their family and, you know, religion, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it's ex- extremely important. So, you know, somebody comes in, they've had difficulty on their job. I definitely want to help them. But yeah, it doesn't help them or, or me to, uh, you know, tell someone what I think they, they want to hear. And, and so um, just for the sake of trying to make them feel better. Right. You know, I want I want people to feel better, you know, after they've met with me. But sometimes the 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 right answer and the way to help someone is to say, you know, pursuing a legal case here really mm-hmm. isn't worthwhile. But if I'm offering somebody a contingency arrangement, I mean, that certainly should be an indication that, hey, I think there's some merit here. Now, there are certain cases, for example, somebody's being uh, threatened on a non-compete violation. You know, for our practice, that's defense work. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be an hourly type engagement in the vast majority of cases. Right. Well, okay. Well, George, uh, thank you very much. That's all the time we have today. So, George Roll, thank you for taking the time to talk about a topic that I think is so important for people who find themselves in need of a lawyer. So it's been great to have you on Freaking Out About Work. Thanks, Randy. Good talking to you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Terkel that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than apathy. In short, or a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying, unquote. Let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefits. See you next time on Freaking Out About Work and please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast.
Tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com. And freaking out about is all one word. Thank you, everyone.